Hoggles and welcome to this week's episode of the In The Hub podcast, brought to you by Playbox Technology UK. Today we'll be speaking to Amir Taki, director, executive producer and all-round content creator. Amir's career on the front line of television has led him to create Haven Films, a company focusing on filmography and the creation of documentaries. Amir is also in the process of launching a brand new podcast, Icons, which will be available soon. Hope you enjoy. So, welcome to the In The Hub podcast, Amir. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Brilliant. Awesome. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on, uh, taking the time out today to come and speak to us. Uh, It's very much appreciated. So, just before we get started into the kind of main questions... Could you just fill us in on how you got involved in the broadcasting industry? So um, uh, late 2008, um, I was involved with a, a number of like-minded people um, who were kind of very fascinated with the idea of um, content creation. And uh, at that time, broadcasting was really something that was um, became, one, slightly cheaper, uh, and two, um, has a very powerful way of carrying out information to as many people as you would want. Um, I think at that time, YouTube hadn't even properly established itself. Facebook was kind of in its infancy. And at that time, you know, we really um, kind of came together and said, uh, I think previously in my life, I was always involved in um, either in print journalism um, when I was very young, of course. Um, But uh, come 2009 um, uh, in in August, um, we launched um, a channel on Sky. Now, I was only 24 years old at that time, so very young uh, at that time. And I think we started the company in February that year. And um, um, when we started the the, the, the channel, um, it was obviously a huge learning curve. Um, the, the difficulty of, um, you know, um, setting up uh, the channel infrastructure, um, the, the problems with the content creation. And um, one thing we didn't kind of... Um, um, plan for was the was the lead time for setting up um, a fiber optic um, and with that time with virgin it took us um up to like four months to get that set up oh, wow. they, okay they had to do some digging in the area and um and they had the council permission so we i think for the first three months we had to drive down with the uh, tapes <laughs> yeah we would um, we would print content on tapes um drive down to a uh, Playout center, ingest the content with them, and then give them a schedule, and that's how we used to run. And it was like a manic twenty-four, even twenty-four hours a day. It was just around the clock. So that's how I really got started. To be honest with you, it was very. I remember, you know, just sleeping on the sofa when need to be. You know, I remember we, we were just doing. There was even no late nights. Wasn't even something to talk about. It was. It was a give and go. And you know, you have to. You need to have a very big team to run a TV station. But we were a very small team at that time. But there was um. You know that was how I got started, really, and um, I thought um, it was uh, it was brilliant, it was fantastic, and it was that. And the reason again it was uh, was due to the the most part. It's a powerful way to talk to people. Yeah, and it still is. Yeah, I I, I know. It, obviously, at the time, it probably wasn't very enjoyable for you, but I do love those kind of scrappy stories of of starting out and and the things that people have to do to make it work in that first instance. Um, I just love hearing those stories sometimes. So what is it really about the broadcasting industry and content creation in general that keeps you hooked? If you can even, you know, boil it down into that or whether it's just a, a lifestyle for you. Yeah, it's really down to one one thing, adrenaline buzz, you know, the yes. fact that you, when you have a live show um, and you have these impossible deadlines that you set for yourself. I remember, I think the first year we did, we said we want to do 30 documentaries by the month of Ramadan. 
And it's like, you know, this daily documentary. It's like, you know, and people spend a year or two years or there's, you know, it's just us as a small team. And that, the, the buzz of being able to deliver um, at specific times. I remember we were, there, there was, there were shows going out at 9 p.m. and at 8.50, we're just transferring to Playbox. And it was just living, the living you know, living on the edge. Um, and you go home and you're still buzzing, you can't sleep and you're back again. And you know, it's the relentless deadlines. You, you finish, you finish one season and you say, oh, I'm done now. And you say, whoa, I've got, I've got two months left to finish another season. And it's just, it's relentless. It doesn't stop. And obviously, you know, we were not, we were not just involved in, in content creation. We were involved in fundraising. We were involved in public relations. We were involved in, you know, compliance and offcom and how to deal with that. It's another you know, it's massive ball game. You, you, need to, you need to be able to understand the, you know, the diligent nuanced messages that you need to put out and there's anything that is offensive or subjective or not subjective, but offensive to some people that has to be omitted. So that all those factors just meant that you're just living very high all the time, you know, it's yeah. buzzing all the time. Yeah. So it's like, it really sounds like a fast paced lifestyle was something that attracted you basically. Um, and it's, you know, all that pressure and stuff like that, but it creates great content in the end, doesn't it? Yeah, of course. I mean, as I said, at that time, um, um, most content was found on television. It, there was no YouTube and there was there were people not making content on Instagram. Just YouTube emerging and even YouTube at the time was just kind of in its infancy. And, you know, you we became a source of, of content and people, you know, I remember um, our first live show, we had like 60 callers in like an hour. And, you know, it was like, it was, it was just a normal guy talking about, you know, but it's the first time we were doing this. And we had to sublease a studio and, and park royal and run around. And it was just, you know, a manic um, camera starts swinging in the middle of the show. All these kind of <laughs> stuff happened. You know, there was a, one scene, one time we had um, um, the, the cameraman, the camera didn't get locked into the tripod properly. So it started to tilt up slightly. And because it was green screen, the guy started flying basically. Because, you know, on green screen, he just started <laughs> going up on the set and... <laughs> You know, we said, you know, you've got the magic carpet or something. Something happened. Well, it's, 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 it's really good. You know, as I said, um, uh, there was a lot of experiences, a lot of challenges, but the fast life, you know, the, the fast pace with broadcasting and the, and the satisfaction that you get from every output that you put. Uh, I remember I was, um, we had a television, I had a TV in my room and the, obviously the play box was, you know, 20 meters down and yeah. MCR room. And I had my, so I can, wherever we, Wherever we approve and goes into the play box, I can see it come back down from sky. And that was a, you know, it's like that's something different because sometimes you can produce something really amazing and nobody sees it. You know, you just you try to sell it and you try to pitch it someone and no one buys it and you start to get disheartened. But with broadcasting, it's there. And we had really we had a harmonized team. You know, we were we when we made content, we made sure that we we made it to the level that would go out. We didn't hear miss. It was you know. Um, you aim for something and you try to get it done. So it's, it, that, that gave us a big satisfaction as well. Um, so I guess what we've been talking about then is is Alobate TV. Um, and, and that's the channel that you guys set up. So for anyone who might not already know, what was the channel all about and what was your involvement in that project? So uh, Alobate TV is a ch- channel um, that is primarily a faith-based channel, uh, promotes um, the Muslim faith, which is Islam. Um, and at that time, you know, in the backdrop of um, 9-11 and uh, 7-7 and, um, and so, you know, you can see all the, the negative stories that have been, um, you find in the, um, on some of the tabloids um, who stereotype all Muslims. And it, it came to a time where we said, 
um, you know, Muslims always complain at times, you know, we don't have a fair share of our presentation. We don't get a chance to speak and, and air our mind and, uh, you know, the media is airbrushing us or, or painting us the same brush. And, and so and sometimes, you know, I, I don't I don't kind of propose that the only way that Muslims should articulate their views, it should be through niche face-based channels. It should be, you know, Muslims should also get into mainstream channels and, and, and other broadcasters to be able to, because if you're on the table, people then assume about you. You have to be on the table to be able to be considered. And so the path that we took was to set up a, a kind of a, a faith-based channel to be able to, one, speak to your community and two, be able to dispel misconceptions and uh, misinformation that's being uttered against you. So that was the kind of the two, two, obviously being in English, a lot of channels that are produced in the UK, sometimes they're produced in the native languages. So obviously you have sometimes Urdu and um, Swahili and uh, whatnot. And so we wanted to appeal to the younger generation and whoever comes across a channel, you know, obviously being on Sky compared to other platforms, um, you know, sometimes it's have normal decoders and you have to puncture a frequency code. And you don't, you don't really do that unless you own that, you know, unless you know that channel. Whereas on Sky, you know, we had 842. We were a number that people could flick up and suddenly find us, you know, you had you had an EPG that would outline your program schedule. You could see all the synopsis being posted, everything. And we were just, you know, I think um, we were to, towards the tail end of the schedule of the of the EPG listing. But I think after us was either the the gambling channels or something. So sometimes people that are gambling, you know, you know, Islam. We we sometimes obviously Islam. So sometimes by accident he's gambling and he goes, oh, this, what's, this, what's this Muslim channel? And he might just come and say something, you know. I think. One time, one time we had an, an email. Um, one guy, I think he was, um, he says I was gambling, and um, and suddenly I flicked down and I saw you guys, and I go, oh look at this woman, she's oppressed because she was wearing um, a veil, you know, on the screen, and he goes, this woman is oppressed, and she, and the lady subconsciously, obviously it wasn't, it couldn't be planned. The lady says, yeah. people think I'm oppressed. And he says, oh, this woman is talking to me. <laughs> you know, this guy, I'm, I'm, sure he was, I'm sure he wasn't hallucinating. You know, this really happened to him. Yeah, He's yeah, like, yeah. The, woman think, the woman said to me, um, you think I'm oppressed, but I choose to wear this to, you know, protect myself and to be you know, chaste. And um, I don't want, I want people to judge me for who I am, not how I look. And then he was like, wow, this lady speaking to me. And then, you know, so he emailed <laughs> in. He was very happy that this, he had yeah. this experience. I think it was a nice story there. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's it's yeah that people can stumble across it in that way, and like you said, it, it helps to you know dispel some of those misconceptions and stuff like that. Um, so I know it was it all sounds as if it was really fast paced, obviously, and and what you guys were doing. Was there ever a, a kind of time that you actually got to sit back and and think, wow, we've done this, you know, and and see it listed on the the program guide on Sky, and just just look at it and say, this is what we've created. I think it was August thirteenth, two thousand nine, when we launched on Sky, um, and then funny enough, when we did launch on Sky, you had to pay a three month deposit. I think it was about sixty thousand pounds, and at that time we didn't even have the money. We had to like ask people, and we got the money eventually. We got it, and then they told us that I think Sky releases channels every Monday. I think something like that. So you, even though we signed on Thursday, come Monday, we were live. And then ironically enough is that when we, when we did go, um, when we did go live, we never had a sky uh, TV <laughs> to see what's going on. So we, <laughs> so we ran out of the office, you know, like, you know, wild, crazy men just running around all the, all the group and say like, we need to find a place to watch this channel. Cause how do we know that this is actually working? You know, it's like this kind of surreal atmosphere. Like, oh yeah, we started broadcasting our content and we don't know, we can't see it. So we went to this restaurant in Croydon called Merch Masala. They sell like, you know, Indian food and curry and whatnot. And then we said, you know, we said, um, can, we have, can we have the menu, please? And they said, yeah. I said, before we order, do you have Sky? He goes, yeah, but they were showing 
cricket. You know, there was like it was the oh, it was the oval yeah, something. Yeah. So, you know, so guys, but and everyone was watching the cricket. I think it was India versus. I said, look, can you please do us a favor? You know, we would order, but only if you can switch it to A42, if you don't mind. You know, just to kind of see. And we watched it. I was like, wow, finally something that we could see. We were looking at our computers for months. You know, these programs that we we're producing is now in a restaurant in Croydon. You know, it's like. Yeah. It, it was it was really um and obviously you know um after years of broad after almost 10 years that i was there um when i travel around the world um obviously i don't present on television but the presenters that were with me or when we go out when you mention you know they see them go oh, i've seen you before on tv and when you do that you get to see the far reach the channel had you know sometimes sometimes you when you're just pr- uh, producing content you know and you're putting on out there you don't really get enough time to absorb the feedback and because you're always locked in you're working and you're not really getting involved with the people and whenever you travel and people say I-, I love that program i really like that point that you guys made there i was like wow someone's watching and you know sometimes you forget you really forget sometimes because obviously you know i told you you make a mistake and then everyone starts you know giving you calling you back and saying you made a big mistake you know like an content and but when things are going well it stays a bit quiet but when we traveled we, we really got good amazing feedback and that really inspired us the fact that we changed, you know, people said you changed my life, you you gave me hope, you inspired me, um, and even though the channel, um, the channel obviously was a faith-based channel, but the messages that the messages that it focused on was equality, um, tolerance, coexistence, um, living um, an ethical life, and it was all about it was all about it wasn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily only for Muslims. Anyone could watch it and say, you know, this. These are good messages I can pick up from. I remember once a non, non-Muslim woman called in during one of our shows and she goes, she goes, um, uh, I think it was her son was on the phone. She goes, I want to donate all the money I have in this piggy bank that I have. I said, okay, oh, that's very, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Why? She goes, uh, and the mom comes on. She goes, I'm really happy that my son's watching something that is not evolved around salish, you know, like sexual content or content that promotes, you know, kind of unethical content. And you guys are trying to promote something which is very peaceful and very loving. And, you know, something like that. Things like that really kind of always inspire you to continue to keep making content. It was lovely. Yeah, it's nice to have that kind of stuff to hit home, isn't it? Especially like you said, when, when you're being locked in and, and creating content and stuff like that. It's actually great to hear what people think sometimes. Um, but that that story about uh, obviously being in Croydon and, and uh, getting the guy to change the cricket over, that was that was fantastic. Yeah, I was just going to add a point here. Funny enough, is after that merch masala um, scenario, the guy with us, um, he was our accounts manager, but he is not very fond of spicy food. But because we were we were ordering a lot of food, we had to order food, right? So we had these yeah. kebab rolls, and they were a bit spicy. So this gentleman, he started consuming far too many without really thinking. He was just kind of he was taken back by the you know. Long story short, he ended up in hospital the next day. He's oh like, no! <laughs> 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 Those uh, rolls should have come with a warning. I think. That's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not used to, sometimes Arabs, you know, they're not used to spicy food and that's kind of the culture. Whereas, you know, subcontinent people, they love the hot spice. And if you, it's a culture clash for you. If you haven't had it before, it, it can leave you. It creeps upon you, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. More, more so than you know. Yeah, that's brilliant. So when you were working with uh, Al Bay TV, uh, you know, were you always kind of involved in the content uh, creation? And um I guess I kind of want to link that to why you now kind of take on content creation full time and how you kind of got into that. So my, my role in Ahl Bay TV uh, primarily was, I was the MD, managing director, CEO, director, whatever you want to call it. But I was running, I was head down. But my nature, by nature, I was a, a production guy. You know, I loved content. And that's why, you know, I didn't really like, you know, uh, 
preparing budgets and whatnot, I would leave that to the accounts people and just kind of, you know, I would encourage the fundraising team or the, or the business people to do their thing. But I was more into content creation. That was my, um, you know, I, I can't, I'm, I'm, I've been doing it for almost, you know, since I was 16, always involved in, in making something um, using, as I said before, I was in print journalism, um, my degrees in um, television production and, and, you know, everything that I did was, was just pure content creation. And I was, my role was as an executive producer there was I was commissioning. So I would either commission external producers. I would, um, the producer that we had on, on, in the office, I would, you know, um, work with them, develop ideas, develop concepts. Once we have the idea, once we visualize it and we say, look, go and execute, you know, go and find the talents, go and find the people, make it work. And that was why I did, you know, uh, and I loved it. I loved it. And, you know, um, obviously being in a kind of a faith-based channel when it's, it's like, I had like a charity feel to it, you know, the money that you would get as a salary wasn't amazing. Uh, it was probably a fraction of what you'd get paid in the, in the industry, but it was just a, at such a young age, I had accumulated so much experience uh, and so much know-how in that period. And it was, and I loved every second of it. I loved every, the, you know, the fast pace, the the turnaround and obviously you'd love more time to make things a bit more perfect you know to kind of finalize projects and get the color correction in and get that sound leveling done properly and you know sometimes you can't but what we did is we you know we we get out on tv uh, and then we just fine touch it before we put on youtube and youtube when you want to put on youtube you can't really take it down after it becomes a and um, you know yeah we got i think we have like almost now almost two hundred thousand subscribers on youtube uh our documentary our documentary um, uh, page on YouTube has got seventy thousand subscribers. Um, we we did like we did like um, our, our flagship documentary series on ISIS that we did. We filmed you know um, you know how ISIS are kind of defaming um, Islam and what they're doing. Um, and sometimes you know people said it was a sectarian war. Some people said that you know there it was a, it was a few misconceptions. People said that this is you know these are Muslims doing it, and we had to go around. We we did a whole debunk of this you know six part series. We went to Iraq. We filmed in northern Iraq. We filmed in dangerous areas. Um, you know we got awards for these documentaries. One doc, um, I think one of the clips that we put on got five million views. Um, so it was like you know that 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 and I and sometimes I would lead you know I would direct some of the films. I would produce some of the films myself. I would even film some of them because sometimes people didn't want to go and film, you know, an area that was just being liberated against ISIS. Like, oh, we know that's not my thing. And you know, sometimes when you have an idea and you only have one time, one chance to shoot it, you can't send somebody else in full confidence. You want to make sure that you go yourself and you know, yeah, holding your camera. vision. Yeah. So if you, you know, if you leave me with a camera um, and drop me somewhere, and I'll come back to you within three weeks with a document. Find a story. I'll down. I'll start building a narrative, and that's the way I am. That's what I love doing. No, it's some fantastic work, and, and well done to you guys for you know getting the word out there and and, and doing that. Um, so, Mir, just moving to Haven Films, which is your current project and your current company that you've got going on. Uh, what exactly is Haven Films, and what does your kind of day to day life look like when you're creating content for Haven Films? So, um, I, I left in March two thousand and. 19. So it's been almost two years now that I've left the channel. Um, and although um, I still keep contact with the people there and I'm very supportive of the work they do, but uh, I thought that, you know, um, it's time for a new challenge. And for anybody um, being 10 years in a place, it's very obviously, one, it's difficult for you to leave, but at the same time, it's also um, it's also needed to challenge yourself. And I feel I needed a challenge, um, you know, being reaching the, um, now I was 34 at that time or 35. And I needed to kind of see that this is now a certain age of my life now. I need to kind of 
do something different. And when I when I started um, Haven Films, it was kind of um, with the with the perception of um, producing more bespoke, high level content to broadcasters, either Albay TV or other neighboring channels, or even bigger channels, if that's possible. But by the time I kind of started at the beginning, this COVID, COVID when it came and kind of started in December, it kind of you know everything was put, you know most broadcasters were interested in kind of commissioning major work at that time and so i started you know i started working with a number of organizations to um produce content for them uh, so they'd be you know be at charities so i started um i'm doing a few things at the moment so i'm launching a podcast um called icons and we've we've interviewed um four um celebrities um, i think one of one's called mark billy billingham he runs the um, sas australia program very famous show yes yeah um, yeah, yeah. Um, you run kind of a um, you run um, other celebrities through an SAS course, and they drive they drive, they drive them mad. And, um, uh, we um, so this this icons about really it's about um, finding out what people you know um, the stories the challenges behind these people's achievements. You know how did they get there? What, what did they do every day? And what was the challenges they faced? And how did they? And what is the message for other people? We got, for example, Bill Conti, the the music composer behind Rocky. You know, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I can't do the rest now. Iconic, yeah. <laughs> we got him. We had Rashida Ali, I think Muhammad Ali's daughter. She gave oh, yeah, okay. real insight about Muhammad Ali's life and what he was doing. So already some some absolutely fantastic guests then already. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I'm I'm, I'm working with um, a number of charities now to produce um, uh, videos on on vaccine misinformation. So there's kind of a huge about vaccine misinformation. And, you know, I've seen, I've heard a lot, you know, there's you know, 5G and all these new nanoparticles and um, they're going to control you. And so we, we spoke to doctors, you know, we interview doctors and uh, community leaders and medical professions and they dismantle and debunk these videos. So we've got a big contract that we're working on now, um, you know, producing a lot of videos on that. I'm also working on a documentary uh, on homeschooling. Um, a lot of a lot of parents have taken their kids out from, from schools Primarily because of COVID, obviously, there's a huge increase. But previously, there's issues of um, bullying, name-calling, um, and some parents weren't happy about... There's even this article that came out on The Guardian, or this whole issue about um, sexual abuse within, um, you know, st- students getting sexually abused by other students. And now even teachers are saying that they have facing sexual abuse cases by students. You know, these like, kind of sexual innuendos and sly words and people dropping things. Um, and so I want to I wanna look at the dangers of homeschooling. And the, and the advantages of the homeschooling, and now these there's emergence of online schools that you know teach you through you know you know kind of virtual classrooms, and so I'm just trying to like I'm doing this documentary on this issue now. I'm working on it. Hopefully, within maybe a couple of months. Um, the other project I just finished now is on autism, and looking at you know especially within new communities in the UK um, and how they don't understand. Um, how when a, when a family is facing autism, you know the challenges that you know if, if they've got a child that has that is autistic, how do you deal with that family? How do you welcome them to, get to the community? What are the problems that people face? And you know sometimes they say, well, why is your child so loud? Why does he sit down? And sometimes you know these things are not in the parents' control. So we we had we profiled a number of cases. We sat with parents. We sat with you know and we interviewed them about the issues. And it was very emotional. A lot of people faced uh, kind of the first time they were speaking about this, um, and they get to really articulate and air their concerns and they feel that there's a lack of empathy sometimes. But we try to create a story about that to kind of, you know, um, give people a better insight. That's some really important work then, isn't it? It's, it's you know, 
it's almost like you you kind of obviously with Haven Films you've just thought you know we're going to be targeting you know hard hitting topics um, and we're going to make it count basically we're going to make important documentaries um, about issues that are going on at the moment so I think that's brilliant um, and I'll definitely keep an eye out uh, for when those projects do release. Um, so me I just wanted to quickly ask about kind of the topic of broadcasting during the month of Ramadan. Um, so how important are the channels like Al Bayt TV to the Muslim communities during the month of Ramadan? Also, of course, are there any kind of challenges in, in broadcasting during the month of Ramadan? So um, Ramadan for Muslim channels is probably the biggest season of the year. Um, because one, it's a, it's a 30-day period. Um, and Muslims normally, they would hold their fast. They would fast from, abstain from food and drink from dawn to sunset, which um, last summer or the summer before would hit 18 hours a day. And so um, for them to break their fast, they would listen to the call of the prayer. Obviously, London doesn't have any minarets and mosques and, you know, people calling out. So they switch on the channel. They put on the TV channels and they wait, you know, in a kind of... Imagine that. that, that that's a prime time television. Everyone's sitting down, full <laughs> yeah. of prayer. And he's got his, like, he's got yeah. most of the food in his hands. Like, I'm just waiting to, you know, when you hear the first cry and you go, ah, I'm minding. That's it. Yeah, is it? <laughs> yeah. I can imagine, actually. Yeah, I think that would become kind of like a household staple during yeah, the month, wouldn't it? Like you'd, you'd get the TV on at that time and you'd, yeah, wait. Yeah, so you have, the, so we do like the build up, you know, we have the supplications and the Quran recitations and you get people into the mood. Everybody gets really emotional and then we do them, you know, we do the call to prayer and then we have, you know, sometimes people go and pray before they eat. But, you know, but that call signifies it's time for you to break your fast. And people obviously, you know, it's um, because you, you sometimes, obviously, you know, back if you're if they're back in their countries, they would have a very, you know, the atmosphere is different. But obviously, everyone's at home, and especially last year and the year before, because of, especially last year with COVID, really, people, you know, they couldn't go anywhere. There was no, course, there was yeah. no way you could go out and um, go to a center or go to a mosque. So this was a way. So so channels you channels create an atmosphere for families. Um, who can't go to centers or who basically are too old or too ill or, or just feel, just want to stay home and watch TV. Uh, so Ramadan is very important, but also something very important about Ramadan um, uh, from my, from my experience at least is that I know channels, they, they spend, you know, three, four times the amount of, con- you know, budget, they allocate three to four times the amount of budget for content than other months, because obviously it's season time, you know, Christmas, you can imagine, you know, um, uh, main broadcasters would spend a lot of money on films and, you know, kind of get the best content out on Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, Boxing Day. And and same thing for Ramadan. Um, Muslim channels spend a lot of money on producing high quality content. At the same time, they also invite charities um, to fundraise on, on TV. And it's become um, an interesting uh, phenomenon recently. I think um, recent stats call that almost 100 million pounds is given to charity by Muslims in the month of Ramadan. It's a huge yeah. amount of money. It's fantastic, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, obviously, on one aspect that Islam um, encourages uh, charity as part of the tenets of the faith, but at the same time, um, the whole point of fasting and abstaining from food is supposed to you know, remind you of the poor and, you know, to kind of remind you of um, how people, what, what, what people are going through that don't have food. And suddenly you realize that when you see a video of an orphan on TV and you feel compelled to sponsor him for a year because him or her for a year, because that just kind of makes, that's the whole point of really, or abstain from food is to kind of remember the people that need it most. So you have one aspect of high quality content is, is, is out in Ramadan. At the same time, there's a huge fundraising uh, kind of um, drive 
um, and and channels. You know, they raise. I, I remember one one charity told me that we we our record is 1.2 million in one program that we raised. So that's a lot of money. That's that's um, you know almost a budget for a year for some channels. That's incredible, really. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, you know, um, it's fantastic because uh, people that need it most, um, you know, they they're getting they gain what they need. And Ramadan is a real time for sharing and giving. And so channels really make the most of it. And and I and, and as I said, content. Suddenly you have you know sixteen hours of brand new content every day. Obviously, some channels can't sustain that. They they produce four hours a day, three hours a day. Otherwise, it starts you know. Um, but there's live shows till like you know, and normally people run their live shows till um, till dawn, three o'clock in the morning, because everyone's still awake. They've just had a big meal. Yeah, they can't yeah, sleep. Yeah. So they're drinking a lot of water, and then they stay up, you know. And then suddenly everyone's buzzing on TV. Everyone's you know excited, but. It's again, if you want to talk fast paced, then Ramadan is the time, you know, if you that was the epitome yeah. of, you know, kind of um, real kind of drive to produce and, you know, make an impact. Yeah. Now, I've just, I kind of put that in. I've always just been curious about, you know, what the kind of the motive is during that time and, and just how hard you guys are working. But of course, there's that uh, charitable spin on things, isn't it? And it's all about that, that kind of charitable giving. So I can imagine that it is, yeah, it's quite an um, important time for, for channels. So Amir, this is a question that we ask at the end of every podcast, um, and it can be quite a hard one, can, can be quite a tough one. But in in one word, if you could condense it down into that, what do you envision for the future of the broadcasting industry? The one I have is adaptation. I think broadcasting is adapting um, as we speak um, with, on, with the rise of kind of uh, streaming on demand and um, on demand and YouTube and whatnot. And I think broadcasting still remains important in sports and the live programming and news. You can't replace that now. You can't go to, I mean, obviously Amazon tried to boost on football, but in front of a TV set and waiting, you know, for, for a game um, or for um, uh, Olympics or, you know, we had today the, the death of um, Prince Philip, for example. So these people go straight to TV. No one goes to YouTube to look for like the latest uh, news. The huge demand um, for for the, uh, that's more than a word, but I just <laughs> no, that, that's uh, perfect. I think adaptation is a, a really good way of summing it up. Yeah, I just kind of one one thing to add is I'm kind of um, although I produce, I do some commercial work and do some short videos, but my kind of passion is is documentaries, and that's what I'm you know, kind of very passionate about. That, and I've got a lot of opportunities coming forward, and I, that's something that I believe I believe that documentaries um, is kind of. Um, uh, one of the best ways to summarize and kind of consolidate a very complicated topic into one hour or 90 minutes or whatever, five minutes or half an hour. But you can really squeeze in a lot of information and people don't have the patience now to watch, you know, read a book or like, um, you know, to take a course sometimes to create a very, you know, kind of visual experience where documentaries, you have music and you have, um, you know, B-roll and obviously visual impacts and uh, and suspense and uh and drama all into one hour um, is still a very powerful. And if you look at, you know, obviously I can't compare where with Attenborough's, um, you know, um, series, but they are rated uh, on IMDb as one of the highest, you know, um, kind of yeah. most popular programs. And that's compared to series, you know, other main kind of, um, so they still have a documentary still has kind of a, an important footing. No, I completely the- agree. Yeah. You've only got to look at the popularity, like you said, of, of David Attenborough's stuff and, uh, the occasional ones that get you know released onto Netflix every other month or so, and they create a massive buzz. Um, so I think you're completely right there. I think uh, you know documentaries are the the uh, 
it's still a staple to be honest it's still a way to go um so amir how can people get in touch with you if they want to find out more about anything that you're up to so i'm i'm i i po- i'm although i i claim to be active on social media but we all do it's very time <laughs> So I have I have a, my my handle on Twitter is uh, Amir Taki, um, similar to Instagram. I'm also available on Facebook. My website is havenfilms.org, and my email address is on the website is contact at havenfilms.org. Awesome. So Amir, thank you very much for for coming onto the podcast today and speaking to us. It's been really appreciated, and uh, it was great to hear some of those stories uh, from the early days as well. It's a pleasure, Neil. Thank you for having me. I really loved it, and I hope uh, I kind of didn't drag on too long. <laughs> it's perfect. Thank you. Thank you.